Drums, please. All right, everyone, welcome to the show. And today I have Victoria Teasdale with me. Say hello, Victoria. Hi, everyone. Thanks for having me. Yes, an absolute pleasure. Finally, uh, glad we can finally do this. Um, so, yeah, just uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, who you are, and if you've dealt with any kind of um, mental health issues in your life that you'd like to talk about. Okay. Um, well, I am from the north of England, up in Yorkshire. And yeah, I, I'm an empowerment coach. I help people with self-discovery. And basically, it stems from my own struggles as I went through life. I started off as quite your average child, quite bright, but yeah, I always seem to have some form of struggle. Something was holding me back. Mm -hmm. And it started off, uh, you know, with the odd little physical thing, but then it very quickly became emotional in nature. My mood was all over the place. I became quite depressed, but as teenagers do, I never really talked about it uh, to anybody, really. I kept mm -hmm. it in um, and the anxiety as well. Uh, it wasn't until I got to adulthood where I really figured out that I wasn't, I wasn't just struggling with emotions as well, but I was struggling to, with attention and I was struggling with my concentration. Mm -hmm. And yet at the same time, I was not fitting into any of the standard boxes. So we already knew that normal was not a thing for me. I don't believe in normal anyway, but it was certainly was not a label that anybody wished to right. apply to me, but right. neither was I fitting into any specific um, diagnosis or right. box of any other manner, mm -hmm. um, which caused quite a lot of distress because I don't know how things work over there in the US, but if you don't fit into a box here in the UK, you don't actually qualify for any form of support. And so you're pretty much left alone mm -hmm. to go it alone. And mm -hmm. that's very much what I did. Um, I managed to drag myself through qualifications. Uh, I, I did stress consultancy. Mm -hmm. And then I went on to do life coaching and health and lifestyle trainer course. And what that gave me is it gave me a great insight into, it put me on the first steps towards mindset and how you actually you've got a great deal of control over the thoughts that you think and mm -hmm. it gave me that link between what you think and how you feel right but it wasn't enough and still I had no answers and still I was seeking the correct label to find the correct tribe to because I, I believe that if I could find the right label and find the right tribe they will help me Mm -hmm. understand and they will give me the answers I needed to be able to become the successful person that I knew I had you know I knew I had it in me um so once I, I got into coaching uh, I realized that I was I wasn't the only person out there that was having this you know I don't quite fit into any of the boxes uh, mm -hmm. issue. but unfortunately it was it was too little too late for me and my life 
by this point had pretty much started to fall apart dramatically. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't just struggling myself, but my uh, third child, he was also having very similar problems to me, but his behavior was off the charts. Mm-hmm. And we were brought to the, our knees as uh, a family. And what that resulted in was I had three breakdowns, three mental health breakdowns in quick succession. Mm-hmm. Now, in a way, you know, it was a good thing. Right. It was, it was horrific to go through. And believe me when I say that I never realized. I mean, you see all these movies and you see it described in, on Wikipedia, all these things that the human brain is capable of doing in, in crisis. But mm-hmm. until you actually experience these things, it is quite frightening mm-hmm. um, to actually go through. But whilst I was in the rehab center where I was, I was taking respite away from all the pressures of everyday life, something occurred to me, and that was that seeking the labels was probably the wrong thing to do. Now, I, I have studied human biology, and I knew that we were genetically 99% all the same. Mm-hmm. But what I don't think people realize is that how vast the human genome is. And when you do the math on that, for each variation in the, the genome that you might be different from the next person, that equates to 30 million potential differences mm-hmm. at a genetic level. So even though we're 99% the same, that still leaves us with a massive amount of potential for, for being completely different from the next person. Right. And so what I focused my time on in there was really getting to know who I was. And one of the questions they asked me in there was, do you have a good sense of identity, Victoria? And I looked at myself and I realized that outside of being a mother and Mm -hmm. being a wife and being a daughter and a sister, I didn't actually have a great idea of who I was. I'd kind of piled on all these, um, these interests and things that, you know, that I, I, I collected almost because people told me I was good at them, but I never really had a great deal of interest into some of them. So during that time, I really dug deep and it was at that point I developed the method of coaching that I've gone on to use with my clients and I unpicked not only the values that I have, the passions that I have, the interests that I have, but I also dug deep into the little individual quirks mm-hmm. that make me different on a level of functioning. So I looked at the way that I function on a physical level, and I looked at the way that I function on an emotional level, a cognitive level, on a way that on the, the level that I communicate with other beings. And I very quickly built this picture of what my strengths were, but mm-hmm. also what my challenges were. Mm -hmm. And out of those strengths and challenges, I built this enormous living document, which describes my needs, my dynamic needs, but it forms a basis that I can always go back to whenever I'm feeling like my well-being is suffering in any of those areas. Mm -hmm. And 
that in turn had a knock-on effect of building up my confidence. I, I'd attempted confidence as a coach before, and people <laughs> have always said to me, you know, if, if you don't feel confident, fake it until you make it. And I was like, okay, yeah, I can do this. But it never felt particularly great. It always, always led to burnout if ever I tried to keep it up for too long. But right, it's like you're trying to pretend to be someone else. Yeah, that's exactly it. Yeah. And it's like you're constantly acting. It's like you're constantly in a movie role. You're not, mm -hmm. it's not you. It's not your authentic self. You don't mm -hmm. feel relaxed around people enough to be your authentic self. Right. Do you even know who your authentic self is? Not to this level of clarity that you need for that kind of natural confidence. And so, yeah, what I was able to do then was to bring that to the table with uh, my coaching clients, mm -hmm. but also with my own family. We uh, developed this wonderful way of looking at life, not through a lens of diagnoses, uh, because when you're a five-year-old, they don't want to give any diagnoses out for various different reasons. And so it became quite frustrating. But once we switched then to looking at our five-year-old's needs, mm -hmm. specific needs, not just sort of rough area kind of needs, specific mm -hmm. needs, and we figured out how to meet those needs, he has gone from being a child who would literally try, he'd get himself into these angry states through no sort of fault of anybody's he would just mm -hmm. literally flip into them he'd turn around and sort of growl at you when you were doing a jigsaw with him and then he'd start trying to do bizarre things like throw himself through a glass door mm -hmm. to becoming this wonderfully loving child who you know he would he would hold his concentration and he was so calm and so positive and so helpful because we had you know, we'd gone through this process and mm -hmm. some of the needs he had were quite obscure and they're, they're not things that you would necessarily think of, even, mm -hmm. you know, even as a, as a coach, even some of the parenting classes that we went through on our journey, they never, you know, came across such needs in a child before. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, so that, that's my journey. And once I, I had that detailed understanding of my needs. What actually happened was I was very clear. And when I went to the doctors and I described my experience and I described my needs with such clarity instead of just saying, oh, this is happening and this is happening and I don't know what's going on. They were then able to give me the labels that I needed to access the support. So I actually ended up with five full-on diagnoses, three of which were an individual disability by their own right. Mm -hmm. um, and if I hadn't have got that clarity, because they were all intermingled with each other, I would never have teased all of those apart mm -hmm. and received that support that I needed. Yeah, it seems that um, personalization in, in all forms of therapy or coaching or communication, working with kids, it seems like personalization is something that has been missing for a very long time. And it seems a lot of people are jumping into the coaching space to sort of 
fulfill the needs that others need that they've kind of missed themselves at a younger age. And now we want to help people to, to see the, the ability to help themselves and to help others a lot sooner and not necessarily just filter through uh, an education system or a way of being or be having them fall into these boxes, uh, but realize that, like you're saying, everyone is genetically encoded differently and that we need to pay more attention to those specifics. Now, it's hard because you know money and social things and politics and that makes it difficult but it seems a lot more people are taking it more uh personally and into their hands becoming coaches becoming uh therapists things of that nature um to help people to to do that would would you say that's accurate that we're trying to kind of uh help move the needle and fulfill absolutely. that sort of absolutely. destiny and, and, and that is really the reason why I chose to specialize in helping bridge that gap between mm-hmm. the, the labels and the needs. Um, and really some of the most um, fulfilling experiences of, of my life have been the times where I've gone into school and I've spoken to teachers and I've said to them, uh, and they've said to me, oh, this child doesn't qualify for help because he doesn't have X part of such a, whatever diagnosis. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, but that does not change the fact that he has, he struggles with communication mm-hmm. and he struggles with his energy levels and he struggles with his, uh, concentra- you know, his concentration and his memory. Right. And I would like to know how you... Whether, regardless of what label you give him, he's always going to struggle with that. Can right. you tell me what you're going to do to meet those needs for that child? Because I think when the hidden problems as cognitive problems are and emotional problems are, and some physical problems really, we don't, you know, we're not conditioned to look for those. We're not conditioned to accept them. And the awareness isn't there, especially um, outside of the realm of coaching. Mm-hmm. Um, and so spreading this knowledge can be one of the most empowering things, not just for the people who have the challenges, but also the people who work with people who have the challenges. Because when they start changing their mindset and they talk to other people, it's almost like it's almost like a kind of virus. Everybody starts sharing this knowledge and seeing the transformation that happens to mm-hmm. these adults and these children when you really start meeting the needs instead of labeling them that really is some of the most rewarding uh work that i've i've ever i've, I've been into happy tears more times in the past you know few months than i have in my entire life oh, <laughs> and that is saying something yeah that's that is fantastic um what i what i really love is is part of it is um at, at some point you you mentioned that the the patient, for lack of a better word, um, mm-hmm. is is eventually empowered. You know, they they're given the freedom and the ability to describe fully and uninhibitedly what is going on in their psyche or in their life or in their mind um, in, in in multiple ways. And we're allowed to finally empower people to do that. And that seems like the point where 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 growth really happens when the person who is trying to help them is able to get in touch with who they are, but the person who is getting helped 
feels a sense of empowerment and comfort and ability to say like, yes, this is a difficulty I'm facing and I have the power to, to find ways to grow and change and become better. And, um, and there's, there's no shame in that. You know, we're all constantly fighting uh, uh, some sense of shame throughout our lives and to Absolutely. remove those chains is amazing. Absolutely. And shame has been a big part of, of my life, certainly. And a lot of my clients also have voiced the same opinion is that you, when you have the hidden problems that are not well known and there, once I started doing the research into the psychology of this and the neurobiology of this, it became very shocking just how many variations there are to the way that we think and the way that we feel and and people just don't know about them and right. so to see somebody to, to have them sit there in front of you and go I don't know what's happening I know that I've got all of this potential inside of me mm-hmm. and yet I can't do it and I feel like I'm broken I feel like I'm defective and these these are not their own beliefs not at all they fully know that, you know, they know they can do it. They believe they can do it. They're so mm-hmm. determined. And yet society has conditioned them to believe, you know, to feel that they are defective because they can't function the same way as everybody else. They can't use the resources that everybody else uses mm-hmm. to get the same results. And I've had a number of clients come to me and they say, really you're you're my last stitch attempt because i i've dropped all all manner of of money on coaches in the past and we've worked hard together but at the end of it all i've not been able to produce the results that they've seen with their other clients and they don't know why and i don't know why mm-hmm. and i can't take any more of of that i'm just about to give up and Mm. to see their faces when you turn around and say pretty much all of my clients sit there and say exactly the same things you know this they're voicing the same concerns and then we get we i take them through this in-depth uh questioning uh and it can be quite off-putting if um because i have a, a consultant um qualification as well as a coaching qualification if they've been to coaching before, they're quite used to the open-ended questions, the guidance to find their own answers. So to have very specific questions asked of them about the way that they think and the way that they feel and the, the way that they experience uh, life is quite unusual for them and it can be quite off-putting. But when they stick through it, they get to a point where they make in such wonderful connections about how they experience the world and what that means for things like their productivity and how much um how many appointments they can book in during Mm -hmm. the week before they start to feel the effects of burnout Mm -hmm. and the certain foods that they never even realized could cause an effect you know they're identifying foods that cause them to feel like their heads are stuffed with cotton wool and it is these very empowering decisions that you give people that allows them to not only have an, a sense of empowerment themselves, but it gives them the ability to have better relationships as well. So 
say you have a client and they have certain needs and they're not going to be met in your typical boardroom situation. Mm-hmm. And they walk into a meeting and they struggle to communicate. They fumble all over the place. They come out of it. And for three days, they feel so burnt out from all the pressure of that meeting mm-hmm. because their needs were not met. After this process, they have such a clear understanding of their needs that they walk into that boardroom and they say, just before we start, I need to let you know that. And they tell people what their needs are, whether Mm -hmm. it's a break halfway through, whether it's not to sit in the light, whether it's to make sure that um, they have chance to regularly clarify what's being said. And these seem like quite basic things, but we don't always think of them. We don't always know that we need to think of them because we are automatically conditioned to think we are just like everybody else. Or that Nobody we should. likes to think that right. they need the, <laughs> you know, the special adjustments. But when right. we do advocate for ourselves, that sense of empowerment and confidence is second to none. Yeah, I, I've, um, I'd say that's, that's one of the biggest things that I've been personally making changes on is uh, setting boundaries. Yeah. Issues, issues that I've had with uh, corporate jobs um, and anything that involves a scenario where you're expected to behave a certain way. Um, I, I've had issues with you know, the, the light shining in your face, yeah. uh, fluorescent lights I've always had an issue with that give me headaches. Um, hard to focus. I had a job where I was doing perfectly fine. It was an IT job. I was doing data management and I was kind of in a corner with some people and it, it was like a few people and it was totally fine. But we moved to a new building and they did an open floor plan and mm-hmm. I started to fall apart. <laughs> yeah. Within a few months, um, they let me go because I just wasn't performing very well. Uh, so now that I'm doing more of my own business stuff, I've been you know, we talked about this before we went on the air here that, uh, you know, I typically only take maybe one call a day or one call every other day, but today I've taken three calls. So after we're done here, I'm probably going to take a break and crash. (laughs) But setting those boundaries. It is wonderful that you're able to do that because, Mm -hmm. you know, it gives you that ability to say, okay, so tomorrow I've got three calls in the calendar Mm -hmm. and then, you're, you're able to say the day after, I'm going to book nothing in there. In fact, what I do, um, I'm sure you probably do something similar, is mm-hmm. I actually book the whole day out. If I've right. got three calls, I'll book the whole next day out, possibly right. even the rest of the week, yep. because I have that clearly defined in my head what my boundaries are. You're right. correct. And right. the way that we look at the two different uh, sections of the self is we, I look at the, the functioning and I look at the, um, the sense of self and the identity. And what that gives you is it gives you the differentiation between what you can't do and what you will not do when it comes to setting boundaries. Mm-hmm. Because if we're looking at something, uh, if somebody's asking us to do something that goes against our values or our beliefs, that is a, I won't do that because it is something that you believe in so strongly. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to the functioning part of, of the human being, if we don't have a clear understanding of what we actually can't do, 
then we're going to try and make allowances for other people. And that's where people's boundaries, even if they're good with the beliefs and the values, they can blur the lines with what they can't do because they just simply don't have the clear understanding of the impact of the actions upon themselves. So accepting that you'll bake three dozen cookies for your children's bake sale at, for school tomorrow, you know, it, it might be great because it aligns with your beliefs and values, but are you, are you able to do that? Will your body and your mind, you know, still be thriving at the end of that? Chances are not, but if you don't know for sure, you don't have a good understanding of it, that's where you're gonna fall foul of burnout. Yeah, I think um, I think many of us should continue to kind of test things, you know, almost take a scientific approach to it. I, I'm sure it really depends on um, what type of a person you are. Uh, if you're a thinker versus a feeler type, for example, um, you know, maybe you have to kind of do some more spiritual exploration versus cognitive exploration. Would you say that's true, or would should you should people kind of uh, allow themselves to to scientifically experiment on how how much they can handle in a certain situation and then set the flag there and then define that. Cause you know, you don't know until you know, right? Well, the process that I actually step people through is one that I call intentional transformation. And what it does is it's very much like, and I can't use this in my branding cause it would put everybody off, but it's very much like self experimentation. Um, but if you've ever, <laughs> if you've ever, been through the process of identifying allergies, it's a very similar process. Right. So what we would do, uh, say I was coaching yourself, we would go through each of the functioning areas, the, the physical, the emotional, the cognitive, the communicative, and uh, the sensory. And we would look at all of the little ways that people could um, vary in the way that they process things we would identify things that maybe impact you negatively or positively. And then I'd show you how we go through a process of eliminating these things and then reintroducing these things over the course of a few weeks. And mm -hmm. yes, it is an extremely slow process right. simply because, you know, there are so many different variations you can possibly have. Right. But once you get quite um, attuned to doing this, it actually snowballs. And when you start making these little changes, so you might change up your diet a little bit, make a few tweaks here and there, but that might give you better um, thought clarity, which then has a better impact on your work, which then has a better impact on your finances, which then has a better impact on your emotional state. Mm -hmm. So it's very much like um, Darren Hardy's book, The Compound Effect, the tiny little changes that you make can actually add up to have massive impact on your life. Uh, so yeah, it, it is very much that little bit of, you know, try a little bit here, try a little bit there. Mm -hmm. But what we do do is we craft this, um, this living document. And I call it living because it's not something that you would you would write out and you frame, you stick it on the wall and that's it. It's solidified. Right. People change, mm -hmm. things change, the world changes, how we feel and how we sense the environment around us changes. Right. And so this document is a living document because we go back to it constantly. We, you know, we review it. If we're feeling burnt out, we look at it and we say, oh yeah, 
six months ago, I realized that this can lead to burnout and I completely forgot that. But instead of having to find that all out again, it's all, it's all written down there for you. And that really is quite powerful in itself. That's all, all of that is amazing. I'm, I'm like zoned in. <laughs> um, uh, real quick, can you go back over the, um, what the five types were? I mentioned, uh, I heard communicative and sensory. What were the others again? Yeah, so we've got um, sensory. Mm-hmm. We've got communicative. Mm-hmm. We've got physical. Okay. We've got uh, cognitive. Mm-hmm. And I'm sorry. My one of my um, one of my own challenges that I have is actually um, from uh, not having a really good memory. So I've forgotten okay. the ones. Uh, <laughs> emotional, I think, was the last. Was it emotional? Was the last one? Oh, just bear with me a second. No, that's fine. <laughs> I didn't mean to put you on the spot there. I just mostly I just okay. wanted to ask. I, I you know I wanted to lead have that as a lead in to ask if there's you know any one of these that that you feel is your strength and which would be your personal weakness okay let me just go over them again the yeah, sensory yeah. they've got cognitive we've got emotional we've got physical that was what i was missing out and the commun- right. communicative okay. okay um i actually have um and i didn't i I didn't mention this earlier, but one of the conditions that I live with is Asperger's syndrome. Okay. Um, and to give you a, a p- the perspective on how easy it is to miss these things, mm-hmm. I got to the age of 36 and I had the challenges that I had in life and my parents missed it, my teachers missed it, my lecturers missed it later in life, mm-hmm. my GP missed it. And get this, I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder and my psychiatrist was also the lead autism consultant for the entire area and even he missed it. Wow. So it was only by doing this work and realizing that actually I fall into this, you know, these specific sets of uh, struggles that I went to him, excuse me, and I presented to him this information and he went, oh, how did I miss this? <laughs> so for me, <clears throat> sorry, excuse me, I'm That's quite okay. a dry throat now. I don't normally talk uh, this long. No, take a moment. Take a breather. <laughs> no problem. <clears throat> okay. <laughs> so my weaknesses, my challenges actually lie in communication mm-hmm. and in sensory. So I have quite a lot of sensory challenges. I'm a sensory seeker for the most part with touch. And yet I also um, am avoidant with sensory input when it comes to visual and auditory, which means that I have to be very careful that I'm not working in a busy or cluttered environment with a lot of noise. Mm -hmm. Also, if I have had a particularly stressful day, my house is now like a plushy factory. It's covered in soft blankets. It's covered Mm -hmm. in little fluffy toys everywhere. And you know what? Even though I'm a coach, an international coach, and I go on my Instagram and I'm quite happy to show that I have plushies in my house because that is me and I have no shame in being me and I have no shame in meeting all of my needs and I don't believe that anybody should feel shamed for meeting their needs. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, my strengths are actually cognitive. Although I do have some of the typical uh, challenges that go with Asperger's, Mm -hmm. um, I do have the the unique ability to simultaneously see 
um, both the bigger picture of a situation and all the tiny, tiny, every single little pieces of the jigsaw that fit together at once, <laughs> which makes me an excellent problem solver. I'm, I'm smiling because I'm the exact same. <laughs> yeah, I'm a visual thinker as well. There's two types of thinkers. Um, you may have come across learning styles. I don't, <clears throat> I don't necessarily buy into learning styles, but thinkers, mm -hmm. there are visual thinkers mm -hmm. and there are verbal thinkers. And I'm a full-on visual thinker. So mm -hmm. if I'm thinking of a concept and somebody comes along and says, hey, what are you thinking about? You're lucky if you get a sentence out of me. You just get <laughs> random words because I haven't got the time to string it together into a, like what to me is another language. Right. Okay. Um, and so I visualize things really well, which also aids me in uh, problem solving. Mm. And a really unique quirk I have is dual processing, which is actually holding two thoughts at one time. Mm-hmm. And so I can be reading to my children uh, of an evening and my, my mind can wander off and plan the entire content of my social media for the next you know, 30 days. And yet I don't skip a beat and I use all of the emotional infliction needed right. in the story with my children. Hmm. Um, and it can be a blessing, but when you're getting to sleep at night and you know, you're trying to dream off into a peaceful sleep and the other part of your brain's off there trying to solve the mysteries of the universe, it can be really annoying. <laughs> yeah, I can, I can relate to much of that. And even yeah. the same with communication and sensory stuff is also what I would call my weakness. So I might have to do some personal exploration. Um, <laughs> but, uh, it, you know, it certainly feels like, uh, especially with the cognitive stuff, while uh, there are some amazing gifts that come with it. it 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 does feel like a gift it does feel like this ability like you said the the ability to kind of see the big picture and the minute details at the same time um feels uh kind of incredible sometimes feels yeah. like it sets you apart from the human race <laughs> it is and it's tapping into that i mean a lot of people they and, and a lot of it is mindset and conditioning, but we, we, we were accustomed to looking at our struggles and not being able to sort of see the bigger picture when it comes to how we work as humans. Mm -hmm. And so we tend to get stuck in, in thinking, oh, wow, I really struggle with the emotional side of things. Or, you know, I'm not a very good communicator. Or I feel really burnt out or, my, you know, my physical state is a mess. But when you realize that, you know, they're often offset by quite significant strengths as well. Mm. It's honing into those strengths. And that's how we balance this process. We don't just say, hey, look, here's a big document of all the weaknesses and the challenges that you've got. Right. And there you go, bye-bye. We actually go through, you know, your significant strengths. And we don't just leave it at that either. We look at how you can capitalize on that. Because mm. at the end of the day, you can have your dreams and your goals, but if the path that you take to get to your dreams and goals isn't aligned with your strengths and doesn't sort of you know, take into account your challenges, it's not going to feel amazing getting to that wonderful achievement at the end of the road. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's not faking it till you make it, but That's defining how you can do know. it. <laughs> um, I, I did have... Um, I had a question and I lost it. Oh, um, I do uh, yeah, that happens to me all the time. Um, 
do you have you used any um, uh, Myers Briggs research in any of uh, uh, the stuff that you do, or is that relevant at all? Uh, I don't tend to. I used it in my early days when I was trying to do the personal exploration, mm-hmm. uh, and I can tell you that I, I, I baffled myself really well with that. I don't know if it's part of being bipolar, and I don't know if it's part of being a woman with extreme, you know. PMS, but I, I actually fluctuate between uh, an INFP and an INFJ, okay. um, depending on various factors. But I, I don't, again, I feel like the tendency can be to focus on protocols and blueprints and methods. And you kind of get stuck in this way of thinking of, okay, you're just segregating people into different types of boxes and although it does go a great deal further than a lot of other methods at um tearing apart you know who we really are and how we work mm-hmm. it still puts people in that danger zone of assuming that because this has worked for another infp it should work for me and when it doesn't their emotional well-being will take a hit Right. Does that make sense? No, it totally does. I think that's that's something that I've been exploring more so lately, uh, mm-hmm. personally, and I'm I'm talking to people about that and actually doing a little bit of coaching based on it, which is why I yeah. ask because I bring it up and and I've brought it up in some conversations. It's helped some people, and some people are a little bit confused about certain things. I'll tell um, you if I can just give you a, a little nugget here. We, yeah. I know I noticed you've talked about the enneagram before. Yes. I briefly. Well, yeah, I'm a type five on mm-hmm. the Enneagram. And mm-hmm. just as a little experiment, being in some uh, groups with uh, Asperger's women, I uh, popped into two different groups. Uh, one was your average group of mm-hmm. just women. Yeah. And the other was uh, a group of Asperger's women. And I said, hey, here's the Enneagram test. It, you know, it's a bit like a personality test. See what you get and post, post the answers under this, uh, this comment. And the general group of women, they were all over. You know, we had nines, sevens, we had threes, we had fours. Mm -hmm. It was a big mix. The Asperger's group, they were nearly, I'd say 90% of them were either type five or type six. Right. There was no, you know, there was no variation from that at all. Mm -hmm. And so I find it quite interesting how you know these ancient almost uh, systems can can mirror up with modern diagnoses yeah it's um, fascinating um any enneagrams i've had some trickiness with with consistency like you were saying they're yeah. like all over the place but um i've also found that intps which are often which is my type and the type that's often confused for having um some some cognitive uh mm-hmm. mental disabilities um tend to fall into the in, into five or yeah. i personally fall into seven because i've got other uh bipolar mental health issues that i think are attributing to that yeah um but yeah i think that's interesting and I, but when i talk to people about um myers-briggs stuff i tend to like to go into the 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 Jungian the Jungian, um functions and I think that kind of helps people break things down a little bit more specifically yeah. through our conversation. I, I got the impression that you're more of an INFP because you like to, to help specific people and it's kind of for your journey and not, not just about some grand vision of the world per se. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, you know, I, I think it's great that, you know, 
the, the point that I do when I help people is to try to let them know that this isn't like a box that you live in, just like everything else. You know, it's not, it's not a means to just say, this is who you are. You can't be something different, <laughs> but it's, it's just kind of like a way to prompt yourself to like, uh, to, to learn a little bit more about you so you can, you know, uh, think about how it applies to your life and, and, and learn how to go forth with that kind of like, um, dare I say, like, like how, how your living document exists as something that you're continuously taking notes about who you are and, and your, your past, your present and where you'd like to be and, and making those comparisons. It's like a way to just prompt yourself as to like how you're feeling and where you should go. Absolutely. And, and if you think about it, Christian, you, really, the, the only thing that life is, is it's one being, one soul, however mm-hmm. you believe life is. You right. know, it's one soul experiencing the universe through our senses. Now, so right. why wouldn't you want to make that experience as optimal as possible? Yep. And what way is, is it better to do that than to fully understand who you are? And the, the Myers-Briggs types are wonderful for taking that first step. It's a great you know, introduction into that first step. Yeah. Uh, and it's just wonderful to see people move on and make these connections that really deep diving into self-discovery can make. Absolutely. Uh, I had one last question. You, you briefly mentioned um, a bit earlier in the podcast about, um, about how you, know, you, were, you were self-identifying or loosely identifying as, as, the, as, as the role of, essentially the role of being a woman as opposed to being an individual. Um, if that makes sense, that you were just a wife, you were a daughter, you were a mother, etc. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. How, how do you feel that's um, uh, uh, shaped your 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 growth and perspective in this? Or something you can you can you can speak to about about women, you know, focusing more on their individuality as opposed to again filling into fitting into these boxes. Absolutely. I think we, we are really, as women, uh, specifically brought up to, to fill those roles. Mm-hmm. And it can feel almost like um, you're letting people down if you don't do them very well. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm divorced, so I didn't do that very well uh, mm-hmm. in the first instance, at least. Um, and my mother was constantly letter even after she had a stroke she was on my case because I am useless at housework so I, I do not by any means fit the perfect housewife slash wife slash mother picture mm-hmm. and yet once I got over that understanding of that is essentially who I am and I did the deep diving and it, it was and I think it's strange as well Christian because when you're not when you don't tap into that, and when, when you first start in your discovery journey, you see these memes that people throw about, mm-hmm. and you're like, oh, well, yeah, this burning passion inside, and you're this badass, and it's like, and it's like it goes in, but you don't feel it, or it's like you can't understand it so well, but really that is what happens. You just become this, like, self autonomous you don't need anybody else mm-hmm. in your life because you are this like single functioning person you know who you are you you could be the last person on earth and you have full faith that you will you know you will function you will survive you know what you need you don't need anybody else and that is powerful in its own right because then you go on to choose who you want in your life and you choose to take people out of your life 
who do not, you know, adhere to your boundaries, who do not, you know, you attract people who share your values mm -hmm. and your beliefs and yep. your attitudes. And you find groups of people who share your passions and your interests and your preferences. And your life becomes this wonderful, enriched feeling that you really do feel like at times you're just going to explode with like this fluffy joy thing and it infects everybody around you <laughs> but it's yeah and, and and don't get me wrong it's not that I don't have those days where one of my functioning areas is being a, annoying and like really playing up it's throwing a tantrum <laughs> I wake up and I'm in pain like from the minute I open my eyes through the physical issues I've got going on mm. or I wake up and I want to you know it's like oh you're breathing go away you know your emotions <laughs> OTT uh. or you wake up and you're like why have I put my keys in the freezer man what's wrong with my brain you know I have those days but the difference is is I no longer beat myself up about them I know exactly what I need to do. I need to reschedule my calendar or I need to go and do nothing but lay on the bed with the soft duvet or, you know, I know what to do to get over it. Mm -hmm. And I know how to, you know, heal that area of well-being that is not having its needs met. Fantastic. I, I, I mean, I, I, there's a lot of beauty in, in, in women that the world needs to see more often beyond the roles that we're trying to define for them. And I, I want to see more of it. Absolutely. Absolutely. So um, I think that's a great place to end. Um, I, I uh, hope we can have you back in the future for some future talks because there's plenty of other things we'd like to chat about. Um, I, I wanted to ask questions about like food and how that affects people. So maybe we can come back and have a, an episode dedicated to that. If you'd love to do that, we can talk Absolutely. about it after the show. That would be wonderful. Um, and um, yeah, why don't you give everyone a sense of where they can get a hold of you and uh, find out about um, where they can, yeah, get in contact with you. Absolutely. Well, you can get a hold of me on my website, which is victoriateasdale.co.uk, or you can find me on Facebook or Instagram. I've, I've tried doing the Twitter thing, but I'm not as hip as the millennials. So, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a weird platform. Yeah. Nobody, nobody really knows what to do with it. No. <laughs> I moan. Uh, Mostly I moan at companies, but you know. <laughs> yeah. You know, I do that too. Or if I have like weird little jokes or quirks, I just throw it on Twitter because I don't know where else to put it. <laughs> Personality. That's what we like. <laughs> yep. Basically. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. This was a really great chat. Um, I think a lot of people will get a, get a lot out of it. So thank Wonderful. you so much. Thank you for having me. Great. All right. Thank you. Bye. Thanks. Bye-bye. <laughs> Hey, you beautiful human. Thanks for listening to Dopamine. I really appreciate it. If you thought this was a dope show, then you should wait until next week. But also, while you wait, you should go to iTunes and Stitcher and leave a positive review. Positive reviews help me to uh, fill up my dopamine tank. Otherwise, you can send your friends to dopamine.life to listen to the show or hi, my name is Christian.com to get the latest updates. I'll catch you later. Baby, I'm a fiend, I'm a fiend. Oh, you know you got me going off your dopamine. All I really need, all I need is for you to put me on to the recipe. Yeah. Ooh, ooh, purple flowers, candy showers, and yeah. You who dance for hours as I watch from overhead. It's a my team. You got me going off your dopamine. Yeah, it's a my team. You got me going off your dopamine.